SBI show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kalarsep, and it is U.S. Men's National Team Match Day in a chilly Columbus, Ohio. The Americans take on El Salvador in the first match of 2022. Big year for the Americans and a big game for the Americans. Greg Berhalter's team is currently in second place in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying standings and a win in Columbus would put them in really good position in terms of qualifying for the World Cup and also potentially heading into Sunday's showdown with Canada in first place in the standings. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Skolarsep, and it's uh, finally here. This trio of World Cup qualifying matches. I'm not going to say do or die, but this is make or break. Is it the same thing? Make or break, do or die? Here's what it comes down to. The U.S. takes care of business, takes seven points out of nine or nine. Obviously, you'd love nine points. But if you take seven points from these three matches, you can pretty much start booking your tickets to Qatar. I know nothing's guaranteed, but let's face it. If you can beat El Salvador, beat Honduras at home, take a point in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on Sunday, you are sitting pretty. And let's not forget now, there's other teams that are going to be in action. All the teams in CONCACAF will be in action, and you can see the gap grow between those teams at the bottom, the bottom bottom four, and the top four. Now, obviously, the top three is is where the automatic qualifying spots are. You don't want to be in that fourth spot and have to go to a playoff as much as you, uh, a, a team from CONCACAF you'd like to think would be favored against a New Zealand in a, in a playoff match. But you don't want to deal with that. You don't want to risk that. You want to finish top three, preferably top two, preferably first. And the U.S. Have, have a good chance to do that. And I know some people you know, don't want to be presumptuous. You don't want to take anything for granted. I feel like the ghost of Kuva, the ghost of that uh, World Cup qualifying failure in 2017 still lingers and there's still a little bit of angst. Even though right now the U.S. is in second place, they're in a pretty good spot. They're at home against El Salvador in a match they're favored to win. And I know some people will say, well, this team tied El Salvador in September. We can't assume, we can't take for granted that they're going to get the job done here and win this time around. No, you can't take it for granted. But this is a lot different. Let's really sit here and think about why or how. This is different. For one, and perhaps most importantly, back in September, you had a very young U.S. team a team where most of the players were going through their first World Cup qualifying experience, first time on the road for a qualifier, first time dealing with that kind of intense environment, first time seeing the riot police and the riot shields and the machine guns and the fireworks in the stands and, you know, everything that goes into qualifying on the road in CONCACAF, it was the first taste of that for this young group. Now, fast forward here. Five months later, or is it four months later? Four months later, seven to eight 
Actually, it's been eight. You have eight qualifying matches have been played now. This group of Americans has the experience. They've been to multiple road games. They've gotten win. They've gotten a win on the road. They they won in Honduras. They know what it's about. So now this group comes into this match with so much more confidence, so a, such a better understanding of what is required. So that's number one. Number two, they're at home. You're not in El Salvador. You're not on that heavy field. You're at home. Number three, you have the cold weather, which I know some people are freaking out about this whole idea of cold weather. Why are you? Why is the U.S. playing cold weather? This is dumb. It's it's if anything, it's evening the playing field. And I, I'm sorry, I'm going to disagree here. And here's what it comes down to, because I feel like people don't. Some people don't grasp or understand the logic or the strategy behind what the U.S. is doing here with these matches. For those who haven't been keeping score, the U.S. is playing in Columbus and then playing in Minnesota in its two home games this window on either side of a trip to Canada. And here's what it boils down to. Once Canada made the decision to play the game in Hamilton and to basically let it be known, we are going to play in in very cold weather. The U.S. is going to have to come up to Hamilton and play in freezing temperatures. Once you know that, once you know Canada is going to do that, you have to strategize for that. You have to work around it, plan around that. And that's what the U.S. did. They said, well, we have this game in the middle. We know it's going to be cold. Let's make the entire window a situation where our players can get acclimated to playing in the cold, and they play all three games in cold weather. And it is so much easier to deal with and a prolonged period of having to play in cold weather. Because it is a shock to the system having to go warm weather, two days later, cold weather, two days later, warm weather. It is a pain. And it is, it's, believe it or not, it is tougher to do that. And I feel like some people don't grasp that. It's tougher to do that than it is to start training from day one in the cold, play in the cold, Travel to Canada and, again, play in the cold. Come back, go to Minnesota, play in the cold. You're you're talking two weeks in the cold. Whereas, Canada is in Honduras on Thursday. Warm weather Honduras. They're coming home. They're going home to to Hamilton in the cold. They're having to adapt quickly after what's sure to be challenging travel conditions for them. And then they go from there on the road again to warm weather. El Salvador is, not, is definitely not used to playing in the cold weather as much as yeah, maybe a couple of their players are. I know Eric Zavaleta, obviously, he plays in Toronto. He knows about the cold weather. But I can guarantee you the U.S. as a team, on top of being able to prepare from day one for the entire window for cold, as a group, more of these players are comfortable in the cold, have played in the cold, like Bane. I was raised in the cold. So it, it is, there is a method to the madness. And, and I don't know, I just, it's funny to me just hearing some people kind of be like, oh, well, you, you shouldn't need this. You shouldn't need the weather to beat El Salvador. You should just play in, in whatever, play in comfortable environment. Why, you know, why do it? It's El Salvador. And I, yeah. 
I mean, honestly, it feels to me more like some fans are upset that the fact that the inconvenience of the fans. It's like if the players are okay playing in it, and if the players are going to do well in it, that should be all that matters. I mean, do we not remember the Snow Classico? U.S. Costa Rica in Colorado in the snow? U.S. had a fine time playing in that snow. They won that game. It was a 1-0, but they, you know what? They, they were, it was a comfortable win. And I can guarantee you El Salvador is going to be much more uncomfortable on Thursday than the Americans will be. And I can guarantee you Honduras will be much more uncomfortable in Minnesota than the Americans will be. Although I think I think everyone will be a little, everyone's going to be at least a little uncomfortable if it gets as cold as, as we're hearing it could get in Minnesota. And I will be there. I will be in Minnesota. I was going to be in Ohio. That was the plan. I had already booked my flight. I was ready to go. And then I had to cancel. So I am in New Jersey in the command center. We'll be watching U.S. El Salvador. We'll be reporting on that. And I will not be in Canada. Unfortunately, it was going to be. But again, plans change, especially uh, when you're talking with TV and working with CBS. We were going to be there. Now we're not. So I'll be in New York in the in the studios in New York with the crew. But it will be cold in Columbus on Thursday night. And enough about the weather. All right. We've we've addressed the weather. I just wanted to get on it because it, it, it was a little I just felt like it needed to be addressed because it's clear. It's clear. Some people just didn't understand the, the, the strategy, the logic. So people are like, oh, well, this clearly wasn't a decision by the soccer people. And it's like, no, actually, it was the strategy directly from the soccer people. Because, look, if it, was, if it was up to the marketing people, if it was up for the people who, who care about ticket sales, I think they would have tried to find a warmer, a warmer setup, bigger stadiums. If it was about that, it's not about that. They are not playing in Columbus for marketing purposes. This much I can promise you. So we'll see. Now, here's the good news. If you're a U.S. fan, if you're, if you're a U.S. fan you're, and you're nervous, you're still kind of on edge, you're not taking anything for granted, you, you're still w- worried something wrong will happen. Let's consider this U.S. team that's about to take the field. No, it's not a 100% full-strength team. It's a pretty good team, pretty strong team. And one thing that you should definitely consider is the fact that we should, knock on wood, should see Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic, and Tyler Adams all in the starting lineup. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because, as we all know, they are three of the best and most important players in the U.S. men's national team setup. You can argue the three best players. And they have not started together since 2019. March 2019 against Ecuador, the only time. Those three players have ever been in the starting lineup together. Almost three years. It's crazy if you think about it. Now, they've been on the field together. They've actually only played three matches together for the U.S. national team, or where they've been on the field together. And the other two times were in the past year, Nations League final. Tyler Adams came on as an 82nd-minute substitute. So they played the end of regulation and obviously the 30 minutes extra time in the Nations League final, the win over Mexico. And then once again, they played together against Mexico in World Cup qualifying in November. Christian Pulisic came off the bench. McKinney and Adams were starting. We all remember Pulisic comes off the bench, scores the goal. 
opens the scoring. Reveals the shirt, the man in the mirror shirt. We all remember. Iconic photo. Iconic photo. So those are the only three times they've played together. And knock on wood, all things go well. They will be starting against El Salvador. And that's huge. And you want to take it a step further, if you want to add another player to that. Serginho Dest. Another top, top player for the U.S., right? He has never been in the same lineup with those three players. We have never seen McKinney, Pulisic, Adams, and Dest in the same starting lineup together. And that's crazy. Think about that, right? Now, as much as, you know, golden generation, as great as this group is, as talented as this group is, it's never had its best players together. And never mind Giorena. We're not even talking Giorena, who is still out of action, who's still working his way back. The U.S. has never had those players and Reina together. But let's stick with who's here. McKinney, Pulisic, Adams, and Dest. Knock on wood, all things uh, go well. They should be starting against El Salvador. So you're going to see a very a very strong U.S. team. A stronger team than the one that took the field in El Salvador in September. So you, once you consider all that, once you consider how well the midfield is playing, how well McKinney, Adams, Yunus Musa, the form that they're in, Brendan Aronson, Ricardo Pepe completed his move to the Bundesliga. He's already you know, making starts in the Bundesliga. The team is in a good place right now. Now, you know, you still can't take it for granted, but they're favored for a reason to win on Thursday. And they should. They play well. They play to their ability. They're going to they're, they're gonna win comfortably. No offense to El Salvador. Hugo Perez has done an amazing job with El Salvador. And they're going to come to play. This much I can promise you. They are going to come to play. They're going to press. They they don't, you know, I mean, that's pretty much it for them. This, this is do it. You want to talk about do or die. You want to talk about make or break. El Salvador absolutely needs three points here. I mean, ideally, okay, one point. They need a, at least a draw. At least a draw. They lose. It's kind of fading away for them. It's kind of fading away for El Salvador. I mean, right now, El Salvador is in seventh place in, in the octagonal standings. They are... Eight points out of the top four, uh, eight points out of the top three. And that's, I mean, you're talking about a steep, steep climb for them. They've lost three out of their last four. They've only gotten one point from their past four matches. And that's, uh, you know, it's brutal. And to be fair, not a lot was expected of this team. The fact that they got this far, it says something to to what the job that Hugo Perez has done there. So you give him his credit for that because he's done a lot. He's He's helped turn things around for El Salvador, but... Getting to the World Cup this time around is probably a bridge too far, but this cycle is very important for El Salvador and their project. And then you'd like to think that they take that next step, next cycle, 2026. And if Hugo Perez is allowed to continue to build there, they have that. They have something there. There's something going on there, something positive. El Salvador rising from the ashes a bit from the, the, you know, back when they had the match fixing scandal. And, you know, it's been a rough time for El Salvador. So credit to Hugo Perez, the job he's done. But it's a it's a lot to ask having them go to Columbus to try to beat a U.S. team that is as full strength or is as strong as it is now and as in form as it is now. Now, it's not a, again, it's not a 100% U.S. team. Matt Turner is going to start. Zach Steffen is said to miss the match. He has back stiffness. He hasn't been in camp yet. He, uh, he was out of action for Manchester City. He didn't dress in their last game, and it was due to back stiffness. He's had, issue, he's had this issue before. Uh, and actually, that, that this is what happened back in September 
which opened the door for Matt Turner to step in and start and and start the octagonal as the U.S. goalkeeper, as the U.S. starting goalkeeper. So now Turner will step back in again and get the opportunity to 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 return to the starting lineup. And let's remember now, Matt Turner set a record: nine shutouts in 2021 for the U.S. national team, a new record. He broke Casey Keller's record. And as much as uh, he's not in season, as much as MLS is not in season right now, Matt Turner uh, is playing with a level of confidence right now that you can you can understand why Greg Berhalter will have no problem having him step in, step back in to the starting lineup. In terms of questions for this U.S. team, the central defense is definitely an interesting one because you have obviously Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson who really established themselves in the octagonal in the fall as kind of the first choice duo, right? However, MLS is not in season right now. These two players are not in season right now. So if you're Greg Berhalter, you have to kind of decide, okay, do I start these two, even though they're not in season? Or do I start one of them and start Chris Richards? And Chris Richards is playing well. He's in form. He's playing for Hoffenheim. He's starting on the regular. He did get his first qualifying start in the fall. Did pretty well for himself. Against Coast, I believe it's against Costa Rica. He, uh, so he, you know, he's already gotten a taste of that, and you have to think he's going to get an opportunity in one of these qualifiers at the very least. Now, center back is an interesting one because uh, the player, the one player who is not part of this group, and I was going to touch on this just uh, in a little bit. Actually, you know what? We'll touch on it now. John Brooks did not get the nod, did not make the cut here for this uh, World Cup qualifying squad, and. It was one. It wasn't as shocking this time around because obviously he wasn't part of the November group, and it's kind of starting to settle in now that he is on the outside looking in. Even though he has started to play better for Wolfsburg, he's starting regularly. Wolfsburg's not been playing well. It's been a real rough year for Wolfsburg. But Brooks, Brooks is playing well, and that was kind of the question after November. It's like, okay, if he if he starts to play well again, he could get his spot back he can make his way back into the team and that's kind of what was assumed for this window that he would get back in there and potentially you know retake his starting role and didn't happen didn't happen Berhalter went with Mark McKenzie over Brooks basically because you had to expect Walker Zimmerman Miles Robinson Chris Richards those three you knew were going to be in Berhalter instead goes with Mark McKenzie over John Brooks even though Mark McKenzie his playing time has not been very consistent at Genk in Belgium this season. What it boils down to, really, and I, first thing I, I need to say, and I'm definitely not going to, I did not want to forget to point this out. I've already seen the rumblings among some, I guess you could call them people who are not fans of John Brooks, who are definitely trying to, I don't know, I feel like rewrite history a bit in terms of, you know, he hasn't played well for the U.S., this is not, this shouldn't be a surprise. And I'm sorry, there's a little revisionist history going on here. Did he struggle in the fall? Yes. Did he struggle in the qualifiers in September against Canada and Honduras? Absolutely. No question about it. You cannot deny that. However, are people really forgetting the Nations League now? June. June was not that long ago, folks. And you're telling me people are conveniently forgetting how well he played in the Nations League. How dominant he was against Honduras. Man of the match for my money against Honduras in the semifinal. 
So, no, folks, he has not been playing badly for the U.S. for a long time. That's revisionist history. It's BS. Don't let anyone sell you that because what it comes down to is, look, obviously some people want to see younger options come in. John Brooks is an older option. He has his flaws. No question. Not saying he doesn't have his flaws, but let's not rewrite history for the sake of the narrative that you want to push on the next wave of players to come in and replace him. Because, yes, there are younger center backs in the pipeline that are on their way. We want to see Chris Richards just get in there and start. And and some of the other center backs that are coming up in the pipeline, whether it's a James Sands who's now at Rangers, or does Cameron Carter-Vickers get his chance to come back in? Does Matt Miazga figure things out? There's a lot of younger options. So I can see some people saying, ah, oh, you know what, Brooks, he's kind of old, older generation, old. He's not even in his 30s yet. What is he, 28? I mean, it's funny to me. I think he still has a role to play. Let's not rewrite history, folks. Now, all that said, I understand Greg Berhalter. If he looks at Brooks and he looks at the way he wants his team to play, that he sees Brooks as a potential liability. Because, look, Brooks is not the quickest player. He's not the fastest player. He can be vulnerable in space. We saw this against Canada. We saw this against Honduras. We saw him struggle with quicker players in space and obviously when you play at Wolfsburg look not to say Bundesliga doesn't have speed clearly Bundesliga has speed but in the setup at Wolfsburg and the way they play he he's protect his weaknesses are protected a bit and they play to his strengths a lot more Berhalter is not looking to change his entire system to play to John Brooks's strengths it has to be the other way he's going to play his way his team's going to play the way it plays and if you're weaknesses are exposed in that system you cannot play in that system and that's that's basically what it comes down to right now is that Berhalter has quicker options more athletic options that he can turn to younger options and that's what he's going with now that's why Mark McKenzie is getting the nod now over a John Brooks although you know if if you ask most teams in Europe if you ask most club teams hey who would you rather have John Brooks Mark McKenzie, I think, you know, 90% of teams are taking John Brooks. No question. But in terms of the way Greg Berhalter wants to play, he wants to press now. He wants his center backs up the field. And and to be to do that, you need to be quick enough to recover. If the opponent gets behind you on the counter, on the break, you need to be quick enough to recover. And Brooks has shown he is not that quick. To recover, can he, he? He can't necessarily play in a system where he has to get upfield and press, and where you're going to play a high line. And there's going to be that space behind you. He is absolutely that exposes the very weaknesses that that are in his game. So when you consider those things, you can understand at least me, like me, and I've I've championed John Brooks more than anybody. I'd like to think, or as much as anybody. And I think he has a a, a role to play, and I think he has some real strengths. But having said that, if Berhalter is committed to playing the way he has seemed to to shift in terms of how his defense lines up, positions itself, it it isn't necessarily it's not going to work too well for what Brooks does. So that's where Brooks is. He's in a tough spot. He really is. He's in a tough spot because if younger options emerge, quicker options, more athletic options, he could he could have a hard time getting back in. And that's where we are right now with John Brooks. And in terms of some of the other snubs, quote-unquote snubs, or players who were left out surprisingly or not so surprisingly, Joe Scally's another one. 
I know some people were like, what? Joe Scally? How does Brooks Lennon get the call over Joe Scally? And it really comes down to this. Joe Scally is kind of a victim of bad timing here from the standpoint of he recently had COVID and that that set him back. He he was out of action for a bit. He he's returned to action, but he, now he's not in the now he's not in the lineup consistently. He hasn't started the past few Bundesliga matches for Mönchengladbach. All of a sudden, in the fall, everything was going great for Scally. He was starting every match, playing great, playing well. His game was really coming together. And he's still on that track. He's still a super talent, you know, when you think about how young he is. So his future is still still very, very bright. But if you're Greg Berhalter, you've had Brooks Lennon in camp now since December, December, January. You've seen what he can give you. Uh, I get it. And here's what it comes down to. When you look at the roster that's in this camp, you have Reggie Cannon and DeAndre Edlin as your right backs. Reggie Cannon... Playing regularly now, very solid defensive right back, right? And he also has experience in the system. He's played quite a bit. He's been he was the starter for the US for, for a good stretch. He's back in the mix. DeAndre Allen, we know, has more experience than anybody in this setup. He's in the mix, even though he hasn't been playing as much for Galatasaray, but he has the experience. He's been thrown into situations by Berhalter before and and stepped up. So he has Berhalter's trust. So that's your two right backs right there. Boom. Then you have Virginia Dest who we could still see be the starter at right back, but who's given you some cover at left back. And then you bring in a, a Brooks Lennon as an extra body. Number one, as someone who you can bring off the bench if you need a spark. Let's say you're, you know, you're struggling for attack. You need to make a substitution. Serginho Dest, can he, you know, he hasn't been playing 90 minutes. He hasn't been playing much at all for Barcelona. He's on the way out. Chances are he moves this winter. Even though the window closes in four days, there's a good chance for Junior Dust is leaving Barcelona because he hasn't been playing much. He's not in Xavi's plans. We already know this. But if you know that and you know you're probably not going to have Dest play 90 minutes, not going to have him play all three games, there could be an opportunity there to bring in someone like Brooks Lennon who gives you good attack, good attacking qualities as a fullback off the bench. And as much as I would definitely agree that I think Joe Scali is a better defender than a Brooks Lennon, and I'd probably be more inclined to start a Joe Scali over a Brooks Lennon. If you're asking me who would I rather bring off the bench as a bench option to give me a spark if I need one, I think I'd go Brooks Lennon. I think he brings more of an attacking quality than a Joe Scali. Now, having said all that, if not for the COVID, if not for Scali potentially not being 100% now, I think you see Scally. And I personally would have said, hey, look, you should bring in Scally. But I understand, given what happened with the COVID situation, him not playing now as regularly, it opened the door for us, for, for a Brooks line. But again, this is like we're talking at the end of the day, we're talking about a fringe situation because Scally was not going to necessarily play much. Brooks Lennon isn't necessarily going to play much. So the hand wringing over that decision, you know, I mean, I get it right. I can understand if people aren't happy with that. Totally understandable. If you if if you want to see Scally, I get that completely. But let's be real here in terms of what the impact's going to be in this window. Uh, you know what? I definitely see the potential here for Lennon stepping in, coming off the bench, making something happen. And if that happens, then you'll kind of understand what Berhalter was thinking when he made that decision. Now, another player who did not make the cut, Josh Sargent. And while it was not a surprise at the time when he didn't make the squad given the fact that he hadn't scored a goal in months. Uh, 
funny enough, the timing, the roster releases on Friday. And Josh Sargent, minutes after the roster comes out, scores a golazo and then ends up scoring a second goal to help Norwood City in, in, with a big win for them. A big win in their uh, race to avoid relegation. And breakout game, definitely the kind of game that he needed for his confidence. And again, it, it, the timing of it just raised the questions. Why was he not called in? And as I said earlier, he wasn't called in because he hasn't been scoring. But you can argue, well, he's even though he hasn't been scoring, he still has continued to play his way into the lineup for Norwich. He's still playing his way into the lineup for a Premier League team as much as their bottom of the table Premier League team. Still a Premier League team. And it's great. It was great to see him score because Josh Sargent is very much a, a confidence player. And I know some people say, oh, everyone's a confidence player. If, you, if, you, if you're feeling good, you're going to play better. Yes, I get that. But Sargent is very, is can be a streaky player. And if he, if he gets a couple of goals, he will get a good run going. He's done it multiple times in his career. I've actually talked to him about that, about just kind of he's someone who, yes, he, it, it, when he can get into a slump and he can get into a funk, it can definitely affect him and it can linger. And it's something he's worked on or tried to work on. Now, here he is. He scores these two goals. And hopefully for him, he can use that to give him some momentum, help him regain his mojo. And I will say, like, I give him a lot of credit because as much as you know, it's been in his head that he hasn't been scoring. It could have, it could absolutely affect your overall play. But he has continued to get into that lineup. He's continued to work hard to stay in the starting lineup. Even though, look, he's been playing out wide. He's not in his traditional striker role. Timo Pukki is the preferred striker at Norwich, obviously. But he's been in the lineup. And that's positive. That's, that's huge. That's huge. The fact that he's continued to fight and continues to earn starts. Now he gets these goals. Hopefully he can build on that because the U.S. needs him. The U.S., in terms of strikers, as much as, yes, there's some other options that are, there's some other possibilities, but you want an informed Josh Sargent. An informed Josh Sargent who's, who's you know, clicking, he's, he's scoring goals. He can still be better than Ricardo Pepe. Let's be clear. Ricardo Pepe, it's been great and fortunate for the U.S. that Ricardo Pepe has stepped up to fill the void and stepped up to make the position his. Let's not give up on Josh Sargent as the potential starter still. Still a possibility. And at the end of the day, you want competition. You want every player to have someone pushing them. That makes for a better team. When you just have a starting group that where there's no one behind them, when there's no one realistic as, as, as potential players to replace them, that's when you get stagnation. That's when you get complacency. And you, need, you only need to look at Mexico for a perfect example of that because that's what's going on with Mexico right now. De- depth is an issue for them. They have their, their big names, their veterans, their established stars who've been around, but there's not really a generation pushing them. And they're paying the price for that. Unfortunately for the U.S., you're, you have more depth across the board. And striker, it would be great if Sargent can build on this and push himself back into the conversation and potentially regain the job that he lost and the job that he had just a year ago. So back to this game, U.S.-El Salvador. El Salvador is going to make it a game, I think, but I do feel the U.S. is going to be clicking. I feel like the as well as the midfielders are playing as well. Weston McKinney is in the best form of his career right now. Yunus Musa in the best form of his career right now. Between those two and Tyler Adams in the midfield, the U.S. is going to dominate play 
in the middle of the park. And that's going to be, and that's going to change everything because when it comes down to it, it's all well and good if you're El Salvador and you want to try to press and you want to try to force the U S into mistakes and counter them. But when you have a midfield playing as well as the U S midfield is playing, it's going to be just so hard to do that. So I know some people say, ah, you're a little overconfident. No, I'm just speaking. And what the reality is of the situation right now. And the reality is the U S midfield is playing out of its mind. Now you have Pulisic back. Now you have Pepe. Now you have Aronson. Even though, look, Aronson's not in season, so what? Aronson, he stays fit. Fitness is not an issue with Brendan Aronson ever. He rolls out of bed to give you 120 minutes. No question. No, no, like no sweat. So the U.S. is in a good in a good place right now. I think they're going to win pretty comfortably. I'm looking at a honestly, I, w- I would say a 4-0. I'm looking at a 4-0. As much as El Salvador is going to give it all they got, and it could be tough early. I think the U.S. will get that early goal, and once you get into the second half, I think they can they can start to open it up with some of their options off the bench. So I, I'm going to go 4-0 U, uh, U.S. setting up the Canada game, big game against Canada. And I, you know what? I know the SBI shows on a, has been on a hiatus. The plan is uh, for Friday to have an episode recapping U.S. El Salvador and also previewing U.S. Canada because we have to get into a whole discussion about U.S. Canada. There's so much to dig into there so you can get ready for that because that will definitely happen. I will definitely make it a point to have an episode between the El Salvador match and the Canada match. So stay tuned for that for sure. There's plenty to talk about. Now, moving on, Americans Abroad, we will touch on some Americans Abroad. I am leaving MLS off for now. We are going to have another episode on Friday, so I will save some uh, some of the MLS talk for then. But we have so much between the, the men's national team and uh, Americans Abroad news that, that that's the episode right there. I mentioned Josh Sargent. Uh, transfer news, Kevin Paredes, DC United's young uh, wingback slash fullback, is heading to Wolfsburg on a reported $7 million deal. And uh, that's a huge one. That's a huge one, obviously. Now, th- there's a little bit of, of of concern when you look at Brian Reynolds, right? You look at the Brian Reynolds situation at AS Roma. Brian Reynolds gives you a half season as a start at FC Dallas. Very impressive. Clear he has all the tools in the world. Uh, exciting prospect. AS Roma pays, what, $7 million for him. And then he doesn't play much at all stagnates and now he's headed to court rich on loan he's headed to a loan for some playing time so the question is you start to worry or not worry but you you definitely start to have some concern right uh for some of the younger players particularly these defenders about you know are they going to be handled properly will their development be handled properly and obviously if wolfsburg seven million you'd like to think if they're investing seven million in a young player they're going to bring him along well and that's the hope because Perez is a talent. I mean, we've seen him. He had a full season under his belt at DC United, his real breakthrough season for DC United. Hopefully, hopefully, Wolfsburg uh, brings him along well and, and can continue that development that we saw start at DC United because he's a real talent. And obviously, left sided wingbacks slash fullbacks uh, are, are, are precious, they're valuable. And the US hasn't had many of them, although now you're starting to see some more develop. But hopefully Wolfsburg does well with Perez, at least does better than they did with Kobe Hernandez. Uh, you know, it, it hasn't all been, you know, great in terms of the develop- how Wolfsburg has handled some of the young Americans like Ulianes. Um, hopefully Perez, they, they, they bring him along in a better way than some of the previous Americans that they've had there. And another young American defender on his way to Germany, Justin Che, heading to Hoffenheim on loan. 
And there's a little bit, I don't know, I, I think you feel a little better about Che to Hoffenheim just because, obviously, Hoffenheim, their manager, uh, worked with Chris Richards at Bayern and is working with Chris Richards now. So there is that bit of a support system for Che having Chris Richards there, uh, having a manager who's worked with young Americans before. So that one you feel a little better about as much as when it comes down to it, as young as Che is, he's played a half season of MLS. So it's very similar to the Brian Reynolds situation, uh, which is funny because he's the he's the successor to Brian Reynolds in terms of the FC Dallas right back pipeline. But hopefully that uh, hopefully Hoffenheim can 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 tr- uh, handle his development well, and you feel better about Hoffenheim, as I've said, because the the people there have a bit of a better track record in terms of developing young players than Wolfsburg. So hopefully for Che, and hopefully for for FC Dallas, that continues to work, and we see Che continue to develop. Another move: Cole Bassett is headed to Feyenoord on loan, uh, and I like I I feel good about his chances. He's someone who obviously has has put the time in to develop. In MLS with the Rapids, he's had plenty of time under his belt as a starter, and I think he can make that jump and make a successful jump to the Eredivisie. And uh, I think he's someone who absolutely is going to, you know, if he can get into that lineup at Feyenoord, will play his way into the conversation for the men's national team and give Greg Berhalter another promising central midfield option. Which you can never have too many of those. In the in the last bit of uh, Americans abroad news, a little a little disappointing news. Daryl DK is uh, set to miss two months with a with a muscle injury. I believe his hamstring injury. He's only he's just got to West Brom, plays a couple of matches, gets injured. Obviously, you hate to see that, uh, especially when West Brom is fighting to try to to earn promotion to the Premier League, and that's a big blow for them because obviously they bought Daryl DK, hoping that he would be that 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 missing piece to help them really climb up to the top of the league championship. And obviously, right now you have Fulham in first place with Anthony Robinson and Tim Ream, and they're looking pretty good for promotion. Uh, and then I believe you have Bournemouth in second, but you know it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty wide open race there when you talk about potential teams for the the promotion playoff. And West Brom is in that mix right now; they're in that conversation. Hopefully, DK can get back quickly because I think he is going to be a big factor for West Brom, and, and he can make the difference to help them potentially play their way back into the Premier League. Now, I think that wraps it up for this episode of the SBI show. Uh, we definitely want to get this out ahead of time, ahead of the the action on Thursday night. And uh, I think we covered all the topics I was hoping to get into in terms of that USL Salvador game. And just kind of just looking back at it now, what am I looking forward to out of this U.S. game? Obviously, just having Pulisic, McKinney, and Adams play together, number one. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, seeing how he looks. Obviously, he's he's joined Augsburg now. He's in there. It's already <clears throat> The struggle's already begun. Because, look, Augsburg is not a good team. He is going to be star for service. And you want to see how that affects him, right? Because, obviously, uh, everything was hunky-dory at FC Dallas. He was getting the service. He was putting away chances. He was getting chances. And now you go to Augsburg where you're not going to find many chances. They're a bad team. They're, there's a reason they were already kind of struggling in the, you know near the relegation spots. So you wonder how that affects Pepe. You wonder what his confidence level will be. Um, but I can tell you one thing. He will absolutely get more chances, uh, or he should get more chances in these upcoming games for the U.S. than he's been getting for Augsburg. So that's one that I want to see for sure. And then, obviously, center back. How the center backs play. Is it Robinson uh, Zimmerman? Is it 
Zimmerman, uh, Richards, whoever it is, I want to see how those two pl- those two play, how the central defense plays. And I tell you what, Anthony Robinson's a player I really want to watch in this window. I think I think Robinson, the form that he's in for Fulham, the confidence he's playing with right now, I think I think you're going to see him. And maybe this is a hot take, but I think you're going to see Anthony Robinson have a bigger impact in this window than Serginio Dest. And part of that's obviously because Dest hasn't been playing much. He's he's in a tough spot with Barcelona. He's out of favor there, waiting on whatever his next club move might be. And that doesn't mean that Dest is necessarily going to play badly. But for me, I think Anthony Robinson is going to be a difference maker. I think he's someone who is really going to take advantage. Uh, You know, he's just the confidence that he's playing with right now with Fulham. Um, I think he's going to step into this window and really make an impact and really turn some heads for maybe some people who still either aren't sold on Anthony Robinson or who or who are a little late to the party on what he can bring to the table. So I think that's someone that's something definitely to bear watching. Um, but that's it for now. I, I mean, CONCACAF qualifying just to, just to, as a quick reminder, some of the other matches going on. Mexico, Jamaica, right? That, that's a big one for Jamaica, obviously. Mexico with no Raul Jimenez and Irving Lozano. You could argue, oh, maybe they're a little vulnerable there. There, that could be the opportunity for Jamaica to pull an upset. I don't know. I think Mexico, they still have enough there. I think Mexico gets it done in Jamaica. Uh, a big one. If you're a U.S. fan, the, the match you definitely want to have your eye on is Costa Rica, Panama. Panama's uh, in Costa Rica. Costa Rica still undefeated at home. It's still not easy to go to San Jose and get points there, to be clear, as much as Costa Rica is an older team now. They're in a bit of a post-golden generation funk. You could argue that where they are now is kind of where the U.S. was in the 2018 cycle. And you just wonder what, how much Costa Rica has left in the tank. We'll find out in this game because Costa Rica absolutely needs a win against Panama. And you want to talk about must wins. Here's what it boils down to. Panama right now has a five point lead on Costa Rica. Panama's in fourth place right now, right? So they have a five point lead on Costa Rica and basically, you know, a a seven point lead on Jamaica and El Salvador. So there's a big gap between the top four and the bottom four. And if you're Costa Rica and you want to have any chance of climbing into the top four, you have to get a win here. Because if you get a win, all of a sudden you're talking about only being two points behind Panama, and then you're in the party. Then you're in the dance. But if if Panama can go to San Jose and get that win, then you're talking an eight-point gap between Panama and Costa Rica. And that, you know, between that and Jamaica potentially losing to Mexico, all of a sudden it stops being about can you make the top four, and then it's about who avoids being fourth. So if if you're a U.S. fan, you kind of, you know, what would you rather have if you're a U.S. fan? I mean, I think it's it's tricky, right? Pick your poison, right? I, I mean, I would argue you probably almost want, I mean, I, w- I think you'd take a draw there. I think you, if you want to see Panama, Costa Rica draw. You want to see draws as often as possible because that's drop points all across the board. So that one is definitely an important one. And last but certainly not least, you have Honduras hosting Canada. And you look at it on the surface and you say, wait a minute, Honduras is the last place team. They only have three points. They're toast. They're not qualifying for the World Cup. No miracles here. At this point, they're looking to build on for the next cycle, right? And then you have Canada in first place. So what are we even talking about? Canada should roll, right? Canada should cruise. The reason I think folks in Canada aren't going to take this one for granted is because of the history of this rivalry. And the horrors that Canada has had down in Honduras in years past. So if anything, yes, it's an opportunity to exercise some demons. If you're Canada, you would definitely love to go down there and get that win, put that last nail in the coffin. Look, the coffin, the Honduras coffin is in the ground already. It's not even about putting a nail in it. But if you're Canada, 
considering the horror stories, the horrors that you've endured in Honduras in the past, it would be nice to get an emphatic victory in Honduras and to hold on to first place in the octagonal heading into the big showdown on Sunday in Hamilton. So, that you know, if you if you want to watch these matches, you know where you can watch them. You can watch them on Paramount Plus. Uh, Paramount Plus has all the CONCACAF qualifiers, so uh, all the ones that aren't played in the U.S., to be clear. So definitely you can see all these games. You, if you have the multi-screen experience going on, if you if you don't already have Paramount, and you should by now already have Paramount Plus. I mean, come on. You got Champions League. You got Serie A. You got CONCACAF qualifying. You got Scottish Premier League. You, got, you name it, There's it's on there. So you, you should already be subscribed. Yes, I work for CBS Sports, which is part of Paramount Plus. So, yes, I, I'm a company guy. I'm promoting my, but look. The, you can't argue with the product. So there you go. But yeah, some great action on Thursday and we'll be back on Friday to recap it all. Uh, and hopefully get SBI, the SBI show back rolling. Cause I know it's been a bit of a, you know, stops and starts, uh, after what was a pretty consistent fall, December, I apologize for December, January, really coming to a crawl, but we will get it back rolling. So definitely thank you for listening to this episode and we'll have plenty to talk about on Friday, but I think that's all for now. Uh, you know, as as I always say, thank you for the support, uh, whether it's listening to the SBI show, reading SBISoccer.com, subscribing to SBISoccer.com. Definitely big thank you to all of you who have started to subscribe or who are subscribing. If you haven't yet, definitely give it a try. We are ramping things up at SBI. January was a bit of a slow month, but now that the action is starting, World Cup qualifying is rolling, uh, we will have more and more on SBI Soccer, and definitely more for those who subscribe. So definitely, if you haven't yet, give it a try. Give us a, give us a month. See what you can you know, see what it is. See what it's like to subscribe to SBI, and hopefully, we give you enough to make you want to stick around and continue to subscribe. But definitely, thank you to all of you who have already subscribed. But that's it. That's all for now. I'm Ivan Scalarsa. This is the SBI Show.